Coming up on the FSR Sark Fighter podcast, does your DNA have anything to do with sarcoidosis? Um, but there's also lots of ways that genetics or understanding how genes work that can tell us a lot about disease and disease mechanism that really don't have that much to do with heritability. Listen in to the FSR Town Hall with DNA Experts 23 and Me as we explore what science knows so far. We have some initial results from the study so far. Currently, about 8,000 people with sarcoidosis are participating in our research. The FSR Town Hall, moderated by yours truly, coming up on the FSR Sark Fighter Podcast. This is the Sark Fighter Podcast, living with sarcoidosis and other rare diseases. Here's your host, John Carlin. Hello, everyone. Welcome. This is episode 89 of the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. I recently hosted the FSR Town Hall with 23andMe, where we looked at the role of genetics in sarcoidosis. As expected, the scientists at 23andMe, as well as Dr. Courtney Montgomery, the director of the Sarcoidosis Research Clinic at the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation, all believe and suggested, as you will hear, that there are some genetic ties to sarcoidosis. And today you will hear that conversation as the experts and a patient, as well as a member of the FSR leadership staff, explore the possibility that there is some kind of connection between our genes and SARC. Now, as you will hear, that is not the same thing as saying that there is a sarcoidosis gene per se, but they do believe there are some genetic factors that are related to sarcoidosis. Now, we'll get into that discussion shortly, uh, but I must just briefly mention that this is the first time I've been able to talk to you on the podcast since I returned from the FSR Crystal Gala in Washington, D.C., where I was awarded the Crystal Sarcoidosis Inspiration Award. And it was very humbling, and it was pleasing all at once. The gala was fantastic. Everything went very well. I met a lot of new people in the sarcoidosis space, a lot of very high-level people, if you will. And many of them, at least during cocktails before the event, said that they would come on the podcast. And so I'm hoping that uh, they remember that conversation and that they are willing and still uh, able to do it and that they weren't just making pleasantries with me. But I really believe that that we'll get some some big hitters here on the podcast as a result of that event. And so, I, look, I look forward to telling you all about it in an upcoming episode. I want to do a little bit deeper dive, but today I just want to get to this town hall with 23andMe because it's really, really important. Now, if you don't know what 23andMe is, it's a DNA testing company. And from their website, they say, we are not just a genetics company. We are not just a health company. We're not just ancestry. We're all of these things. And we want to tell you about you. All right. So that's a pretty good way to describe what they do. And then I just pulled a, a little bit more data again, right from their website. In 2006 is the year they say they set out to make DNA more accessible and meaningful for all. 
12 million people is uh, 12 million plus is the number of DNA kits they have sold in that time. So what is a DNA kit? Well, basically, you send them in uh, typically like it's a saliva solution or something like that. And then they or a hair. I don't you know, I don't know. I don't know exactly what 23andMe does, but you send them something that they can analyze your DNA. um, And then they drill down into that DNA and they will tell you individual things about yourself if you ask them to. But then also uh, they have produced more than 55 health reports that meet FDA requirements. Again, everything taken from their website. So I'm taking that at face value, but I don't have any reason to believe it's not true. In fact, I I believe it is true. So um, if uh, you have here a company that has done millions of tests and then they mine the data uh, anonymously and they look for patterns in all kinds of areas of healthcare, including sarcoidosis, and it's fascinating. So in May of this year, 2023, just a little less than a month ago, FSR teamed up with the folks at 23andMe for this town hall discussion with one of their lead researchers as well as a clinician in the SARC space who I just told you about from the University of Oklahoma. Uh, That's Dr. Uh, Courtney Montgomery. Make sure I got that right. And then also joining that conversation was a patient and Mary McGowan from FSR, the CEO. And so when we come back from the break, we'll jump right into it and you will hear the opening remarks and then you'll hear me take over and we'll go through the question and answer. And I think you are going to find this fascinating. So the FSR town hall coming up right after the break. I feel like a zombie just feeding at stumbling Hi, I hope you're enjoying the Sark Fighter Podcast. You may be wondering, what can I do to help? How can I be a part of the sarcoidosis solution? It's simple. Make a donation to KISS. Kick in to stop sarcoidosis. 100% of the money goes to the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Look for a link in the show notes of the Sark Fighter Podcast. Welcome. We are now beginning the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research's Town Hall, unveiling the role of genetics in sarcoidosis research and treatment. Thank you for joining us today. The event will not have time for a live Q&A session. However, should you have questions for the FSR staff, you can type them in the Q&A written Zoom function and the team will get back to you with some support. Today's town hall will begin with a short presentation from Dr. Shuyash Shringarpure. Dr. Shringarpure is a senior statistical geneticist from 23andMe, and he will present some important background information about genetics that will help inform today's conversation around the role of genetics in sarcoidosis research and treatment. After the presentation, we'll open up the panel discussion. I welcome you to begin and share your slides, Dr. Shringar Pure. Thank you. Thanks, Rebecca. Hello, everyone. Uh, good morning from California. My name is Suyash. I'm a senior scientist in statistical genetics at 23andMe. And 
Today, I wanted to give you a little bit of more information about the role of genetics in sarcoidosis research and research at 23andMe in sarcoidosis. So before I start, I wanted to thank all the research participants at 23andMe, the sarcoidosis community, and our friends at the FSR for giving us this opportunity to present today. 23andMe uh, is the first and only direct-to-consumer genetics service that is authorized by the FDA to give people their genetic health risk reports. Uh, the 23andMe kit is a kit that people can uh, buy and send back a saliva sample and then get back information on their ancestry, uh, relatives, uh, genetic health risks from single genetic variants as well as the genome-wide uh, polygenic risk. Our goal as a company is to help people uh, sort of access, understand and benefit from the human genome. And in the rare disease context, this translates to helping understand the genetics of rare diseases. So we want to use genetics to help improve research in rare diseases. And in rare diseases, research is limited by the small sample size since each disease is rare it affects a small number of people. But across the world, 300 million people are estimated to be affected by some rare disease. And of all these diseases, there are 7,000 or more than 10,000 now known. Only 5% have a treatment that is available. On the other hand, of all these many diseases, 72% are understood to have some genetic basis. So they have some connection to genetics. And so 23, from a 23 me perspective, we think that leveraging genetics to study rare disease could help us understand the disease better and could translate into new therapies for patients. One question that we think about and it often gets asked is, why do some diseases affect certain ethnicities more than others? For example, in our early data on sarcoidosis, we show that, or we see a higher incidence of sarcoidosis among African-Americans among our research participants. And this is sort of what other studies from many different institutions have also shown. So why, is, why might this happen? So there are a number of factors that could cause this and sort of I've divided them into sort of two groups on the left hand side of the slide here. So one is risk that is because of your genetics and risk from your genetics can be of a couple of different types. So one is, for example, in diseases like uh, Huntington's disease or cystic fibrosis, where a single gene can cause the disease and sort of mutations or variation in a single gene can be responsible for your risk of disease. On the other hand, there are sort of what are called complex diseases. So things like diabetes and heart disease, where research has shown that it is not a single gene that causes the disease, but that many genes in your genome contribute a small amount of risk. And together, those risks add up to increase your overall risk for the disease. 
The second group of factors is, I've grouped them as environmental factors or non-genetic factors, and they include a large variety of sources. Uh, they, they could be geographical, socioeconomic, uh, could be access to healthcare, all of these things. And genetics is uh, somewhat sort of different from these environmental risk factors in the way it's studied, because we understand its inheritance very well. So for example, if we know your genetics, we might be able to make some sort of reasonable guess about what genetics will be passed on to your children. And so if there is genetic risk that you have, then we can say something about how might this contribute to risk in your family members. And both these sets of risk factors, genetic and environmental, can affect sort of disease in a population. So it affects both disease in multiple ways. It can affect how, what proportion of a population has the disease, it's called prevalence, or how many people develop the disease newly called incidence. But it can also affect how fast your disease progresses. So these factors affect various aspects of disease. And through research, we hope to study all of these. One thing I did want to tell you about was how at 23andMe, we try to do drug discovery, how it works. And to contrast sort of how, other, how, how drug discovery has been done in the past. So in the past, people try to identify a factor in the disease causing mechanisms that they can try to target with a drug. And so that's the second step here called target identification by disease. And then they try to develop a drug that can affect this target and reduce your risk for disease or cure your disease. Typically then, once you've developed a drug, it has to go through clinical trials to show that it is safe and that it provides the benefit that it is supposed to. And then once it uh, goes through clinical trials, then it can get approval and then it can be made available to everyone. At 23andMe, we've added an initial additional step at the beginning, which is based on genetic data and people's self-reported data about disease. And what we try to do is use this data to improve our ability to identify potential targets for these drugs. And research has shown that drug targets which have genetic evidence are more likely to succeed in the clinical trials that follow. So these have shown almost a, a double the rate of success as compared to traditional uh, or targets which don't have any genetic evidence supporting them. One example of how Genetics has improved uh, drug target discovery is in a cholesterol medication that was initially developed by identifying a gene called PCSK9, where researchers observed that people who had specific mutations in PCSK9 had very low levels of cholesterol, which is good for reducing your risk for heart disease. And so they tried to make a drug that actually replicates the effect of what that gene mutation does. And that drug made it through clinical trials and is now available to 
people to help reduce their risk of high cholesterol. So we hope to do this as a general practice for all drug discovery, not just sort of in these in isolated examples at 23andMe. One limitation of research studies and genetic studies that have been conducted in the past is that not all people are represented equally in these studies. In particular, there has been underrepresentation of people with African ancestry. So what this means is that treatments that are developed from these studies may not be as effective for people who are not included in these studies. So for sarcoidosis, we know that it affects the black community at double the rate of white individuals, but not having enough representation could affect our ability to develop effective drugs for the community. So from the research perspective, to better represent all people when searching for these treatments, 23andMe has started the representation in sarcoidosis research study. It is focused on improving our understanding of genetic and environmental factors contributing to sarcoidosis risk, specifically focusing on individuals with African ancestry. And I've included a link to our study website below, and you can learn more by visiting that website. We have some initial results from the study so far. Currently about 8,000 people with sarcoidosis are participating in our research. And additionally, about 2 million research participants in the 23andMe cohort have responded to our surveys about sarcoidosis. As a sort of initial result, we've seen a higher prevalence in women participating in our study, uh, similar to what has been reported previously. And when we looked at symptoms that have been commonly reported by participants in the study, we see reporting of granulomas, swollen lymph nodes, rashes, vision, and so on. So all in line with uh, what previous studies have reported, and it gives us confidence that the data we are collecting is reliable and will produce good results in our research. Of course, when people participate in research studies, one, your sort of interesting 23andMe or other researchers with your DNA, which is important personal information. So 23andMe has had a strong focus on protecting people's privacy. We, our goal is to enable participants to contribute to scientific research while still maintaining control of their data. At 23andMe, participants can choose to consent or not choose to consent in the study at any time, and we respect those consent changes. And participation is completely opt-in and voluntary. So to date, 23andMe has never given customer information to law enforcement or employers or insurance companies. And we also publish a transparency report that describes what requests anyone has made for our data. Just to sort of end with a more information about the 23andMe research program, when people sign up for 23andMe, they have the option to participate in our research program. Our program is governed by a ethics board called the Institutional Review Board 
to ensure that our research is uh, in accordance with federal ethical standards and to improve our protection of our customers' privacy. We require that everyone actually actively provide consent to participate. So your data is not used unless you consent to participation. And you can change your consent at any time. You can stop participating. And once you stop participating, then your data will not be used for future studies. And because the 23andMe research program is online, geography is not a barrier. People all across the United States and in some other countries can participate in our research and contribute to science. So with that, I'll thank you all for listening and I'm happy to participate in the panel discussion that will follow. Thank you. Thank you for that wonderful presentation, Dr. Sringar Bure. Hello, everyone. I'm Mary McGowan, CEO for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. Today's discussion is born out of many conversations that I and the team have had about, with members of the sarcoidosis community about the origin of their illness and the best path to treat their disease. Our community wants to know if sarcoidosis has genetic causes, what role sarcoidosis can play in creating a better understanding of how to treat symptoms and the underlying disease, and what types of conversations patients should have about their diagnosis with their clinicians and family members. Today is meant to be a foundational discussion that will help us better understand the role genetics can play in understanding and treating sarcoidosis. This is just the start of what we are sure will be many additional discussions on this topic. I would like to extend a hearty thank you to 23andMe for helping to make this event possible, and to all of you who took the time to share your questions and feedback on the pre-event survey that shaped the topics for today's discussion. I will now pass it to John Carlin, FSR Patient Advisory Board Chair, Patient Advocate, and host of the FSR's SARC Fighter podcast to commence today's discussion. Thank you, John. Thank you, Mary, and thank you, Dr. Sringapure, for that uh, informative presentation. And good morning and welcome, everybody. Uh, this is the officially, of course, you know by now, the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research's town hall discussion. We're looking at, we're calling this Unveiling the Role of Genetics in Sarcoidosis, at Sarcoidosis Research and Treatment. So essentially, we're looking, as Dr. Stringer-Pure said, we're looking to see if there is a direct link between our individual genetic codes and whether or not that is the reason that we have sarcoidosis. And then more importantly, looking forward, uh, can we find a treatment? And if you were listening to Dr. Shringapure's uh, analysis, uh, the, the likelihood of finding successful treatment is much greater when you go through this genetic process. So that's what we're talking about here today. Now, allow me to introduce myself one more time. My name is John Carlin. I do host the FSR Sark Fighter podcast. You can get that on uh, pretty much wherever anybody gets any podcast. Just search for Sark Fighter and you'll find that there. Uh, and I have the honor of guiding our uh, important discussion today to talk about the, the role of genetics in sarcoidosis research and treatment. 
And uh, I just have to say that uh, I know that there's been a big sign up for this. There's a lot of interest in this town hall, and we are honored to see so many of you, our, our friends, family, clinicians, and staff with us from FSR on Saturday uh, morning or afternoon, as it were. So thank you so much for attending this extremely important event. And hopefully we are going to shed some new light today on, on genetic research as it relates to sarcoidosis. Now, just a, a quick bit of housekeeping quickly. Uh, for everyone here, there is a link to today's conversation that'll be shared with all the registered attendees and made available on FSR's YouTube channel. And in addition, we will be releasing this as a podcast in the coming weeks, so you can actually listen to the conversation today, the audio-only portion of today uh, on the uh, FSR Sark Fighter podcast. So uh, the foundation also would like to thank 23andMe for graciously providing the generous support to make today's event possible. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Now, uh, you'll be able to ask questions uh, in the Q&A today, but as a reminder, we just want to let you know the FSR staff will be relying to your question, uh, replying to your questions. Uh, they don't have a genetic background. Uh, they are here, so they won't be able to provide any specific healthcare advice, but they will be able to guide you in the general direction or perhaps uh, reiterate uh, some of what is being laid out there here today. So right now, I want to take a few moments and introduce our esteemed panelists. Uh, I will give you their names, and then we will hear from each of them individually. First of all, we have C. Ann Scott, who goes by Ann, Woman of Color Patient Advisory Committee for the Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research. We have Dr. Courtney Montgomery, who is the Director of Sarc Research, uh, the Research Clinic at the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation. Uh, we've already heard from Mary McGowan, and we will again, our Chief Executive Officer, who's doing just wonderful things with FSR. And then, of course, uh, Dr. Shringapure, the Senior Statistical Geneticist of 23andMe. So let's get some opening statements. And Mary, I want to turn it back over to you. Uh, so why don't you kind of set the table for us here today? Well, thank you, John. Uh, we're so grateful to you, first of all, for moderating this timely and critical discussion. Uh, and as we do with these types of events, FSR issued a survey to the community to get a better understanding of your priorities uh, and questions concerning genetics, heritability, and its role in diagnostic and treatments. So 95% of those surveyed said that they were interested in learning about the role that genetics play in sarcoidosis. And 88% say they were interested in learning whether certain groups of individuals, ethnicities, or races have had a higher predisposition towards developing sarcoidosis. Uh, and you know, for so long, clinicians have struggled with the diagnosis and treatment of sarcoidosis. Questions abound about the role that genetics and environmental factors play in the development and treatment opportunities for this complex disease. And each day, we hear stories of individuals living with sarcoidosis who have siblings, parents, and aunts and uncles who are all impacted by sarcoidosis. Our community shares the concern they have about whether loved ones are at risk. Certain ethnic groups and genders are well known to have higher prevalence and worse outcomes of sarcoidosis. Uh, new therapies are elusive and have taken far too long to be developed, but there is hope and you are the catalyst of that hope. 
In fact, 82% of those surveyed expressed a willingness to share information about their genetic background to help advance research in sarcoidosis. And this is extraordinary. 31% of those surveyed said uh, they were not aware that genetic discoveries have led to better therapies in other disease areas. Genetics has much to share that can lead to precision, i.e. targeted medicines, uh, that target specific symptoms or indicators of disease, often called biomarkers in individual patients. Sarcoidosis is a snowflake disease, but by deepening our understanding of the role of genetics, heritability, and genetic biomarkers, we can begin to identify uh, scientific breakthroughs in sarcoidosis. Of the survey, 93% respondents were interested in learning ways their clinician might use genetic information to determine treatment options most appropriate. Uh, and we hope that today's discussion will uh, catalyze more research, further discussions, and better patient outcomes. Uh, we do know that sarcoidosis stems from combination of genetics and environmental factors, as have, has been discussed. 98% of survey respondents expressed interest in learning more about how these factors interact. Uh, we're proud to open this vitally important topic and are thrilled to have assembled this extraordinary panel to initiate today's discussion. So Anne, we'd like to start with you. Mm -hmm. My name is C.Ann Scott, and I'm here on behalf of the Women of Color Committee for the Foundation of Sarcoidosis Research. This committee is composed of 15 African-American women, both uh, patients and um, care partners. The committee serves as a patient voice of the campaign. We use our experiences to raise awareness about this illness. I'm sharing my experience today as a pulmonary and muscular sarcoidosis patient because treatment, information, and support help me thrive and understand sarcoidosis. I want to see each and every one of you grow on your journey. I'm the widow of the late Dr. James Scott and have three adult children, Lori, James, and Jason along with four grandchildren. I retired in 2015 after a 42-year career in education and school administration. I was first diagnosed in 2016 with pulmonary sarcoidosis. The disease had affected my lungs, heart, and kidneys. In February of 23, I was also diagnosed with muscular sarcoidosis. This was after I had been treated for arthritis because I complained about weakness of my legs. And I'm sure I have arthritis just as everyone has arthritis. So I went through a series of cortisone shots and a genicular nerve block. These treatments did not correct the joint pain and the muscle weakness in the legs. The treatments were a waste of five years as my muscles continued to weaken to the point that I was unable to stand without assistance. Then my thighs and fingers became weaker. 
One of my friends, a retired medical researcher, she said to me, you may have uh, muscular sarcoidosis. I told my pulmonary doctor and she immediately ordered tests and um, referred me to a neurologist. The testing confirmed my friend's suspicion of muscular sarcoidosis. I now use a walker and a cane as well as see a neurologist. I have PTOT and then I have infusion therapy. My father died of sarcoidosis, uh, died in 2015. I learned later that he had sarcoidosis. My dad was 92 years old. And at the time of his death, I was never told of his illness or if he had treatment. I'm the youngest of two children. And in my family, the baby of the family was never told the unpleasant or how people died. I want to be part of this conversation today to make to raise awareness and let, let patients know that there is hope, there's useful knowledge to be gained from learning your family's health history and genetics. I had never heard of sarcoidosis until I was diagnosed. If I had known that daddy had sarcoidosis, I would have been able to relay this information to my healthcare providers. This information could have expedited the testing, the diagnosis, and the treatment. I want you to know and familiarize yourself with your symptoms, the family illnesses and history, treatment options, and the need for African-Americans in clinical trials and research. Thank you so much, uh, Anne. That is, that's wonderful. Let's go to... Um... Dr. Montgomery now. Uh, so we just heard where an example of uh, some some family heritage there, and that's starting to suggest that there is this genetic code. So um, Dr. Uh, Courtney Montgomery, would you uh, tell us a little bit more about you and, and your role in this research? Absolutely. So as mentioned, my name is Dr. Courtney Montgomery. I work at the Oklahoma Medical Research Foundation, but I've actually been involved in sarcoidosis research for over 20 years. Um, my involvement in sarcoidosis research began um, during my years of training uh, in Cleveland, Ohio. Uh, I was trained at Case Western Reserve University in the Cleveland Clinic. Um, and so my hope for today is to begin to demystify this idea of genetics. Um, I believe genetics research has lots of promise um, for treatment, for better understanding the disease, better counseling patients with the disease. And uh, we'll get into more details about that as we go on later. But again, my hope is to be able to uh, take away what some people view as scary or unknown um, about genetics because it has great promise for us all. Okay, thank you so much. And next, um, who is next here? Okay, so we are going to next go to lost my place in my script here. I'm sorry, but um, we're so pleased to, to have everybody here today. And we've listened to Dr. Stringer Pure's presentation. Um, it does look like genetics does provide some information that will truly change the landscape for patients, providers, researchers, 
So we want to hear some other perspectives as we go through our conversation. The first, the first question that I have today for the panel is, why do we want to study genetics? And based upon what we've heard already, maybe that seems obvious, but then more the question of how will studying genetics really help research and treatment of sarcoidosis? And Dr. Montgomery, I want to throw it right back over to you because uh, I know you and I have talked just a little bit, but you feel like there's a lot of promise in this area. Absolutely. So the first thing I'll say, uh, just to kind of set the, the stage for this discussion, is distinguishing between what we would call heritability. So inheriting a disease or a condition, just like eye color, hair color, whatever, um, from our parents and understanding what we would call genetic effects. So certainly it is so important, as Anne said, that we understand our family history. I personally have a strong uh, family history of autoimmune disease. So something that I want to be aware of, something that I want to be aware of in my own children. Um, but there's also lots of ways that genetics or understanding how genes work that can tell us a lot about disease and disease mechanism that really don't have that much to do with heritability. So, um, and we, we talked, this was touched on early in our presentation. So some of the work that I've been involved in, and I've been very, very blessed to be a part of the very first uh, genetic study of Americans um, in both people of European ancestry, as well as people of African ancestry. And we have learned so much about this idea of mechanism. So think about if you understand how an engine works, then, and I'm not a mechanic by any stretch of the imagination, but people that are trained in that way and they understand how a car works, then when they see a small symptom, they say, ooh, I know where this is originating and I know where to go to stop the problem. So that's exactly the kind of analogy that I'd like to think of through um, with respect to genetics, because genes are not only the fundamental building block of, you know, our genetic code, like I said, and saying what we look like and how we act and our personality and all those things. It's also how our body functions and how our body responds to the environment. So if we're able to do things like say, well, certain genes are associated with what organs are involved in a person with sarcoidosis. And we've done those studies. We've actually identified a gene that we know predisposes a person to have uh, involvement of their central nervous system or neurosarc. Um, and if we're able to do things like the genes that are associated with sarcoidosis are also some of the same genes that are associated with lupus or ankylosing spondylitis or other autoimmune diseases, which again, we've done that study and we've, we've published those results. And then we can say, wow, maybe some of the treatments that are super effective in these other diseases, which are much more common and therefore much more extensively studied, um, that those treatments might also be of help to people in, with sarcoidosis. And, you know, as we've heard multiple times today, um, understanding a person's ancestry. So where did you come from? Where did your great grandparents, your great, great, great grandparents come from that helps guide painting that picture of a person's genetic background, but also, like I said, digging into the mechanism. And I think uh, the example that was given earlier from 
diabetes medication was a perfect example. So that was a case where no one had to be uh, genetically tested to determine if they had a specific gene to be a candidate for a very effective cholesterol medication, right? Because it was by studying the genes of a small group of people, relatively speaking, um, we could understand more the mechanism of disease or how does this disease work getting under the hood, if you will, and then saying, all right, this treatment now is applicable to a much broader audience. You're muted, John. Yep. Sorry. Afraid the dog was going to bark. Uh, Mary, <laughs> let's go, let's go over sure. to you. <laughs> I'd be happy and, to. Yeah. yeah. Well, first of all, Dr. Montgomery, uh, thank you so much for your extraordinary leadership and advancing and uh, the understanding of genetics and sarcoidosis. This is so exciting and so critically important. And, you know, this is what we hear from patients. So we all totally agree that, you know, many of the current therapies take a more, you know, kind of a scattershot approach, if you will, to address inflammation anywhere in the body. And clinicians are forced to essentially experiment uh, until they find the exact right combination of medications, right, that improve patient symptoms. So one of the most exciting things about the work uh, that is now being done is the potential for a more informed, individualized approach that will allow clinicians to select therapies based upon the genetic information of the particular in individual. Uh, and I'm incredibly hopeful that this will mean that patients will get better therapies more quickly and will have less exposure uh, that lead to toxic reactions in their body. We understand that genetics is personal and individualized. Our community has expressed a number of concerns about ensuring safeguards are in place before they can feel comfortable with genetic testing, however. 58% um, of survey respondents were concerned about privacy, 53% were concerned about health insurance denials, and 50% of our survey respondents had concerns about ownership of genetic information and their ability to control access to it. And 40% were concerned about future use of their genetic information and how they could protect other family members. And the last point I wanna make is something that frequently comes up in our conversations with patients. People know that their genetic information is not just their own, but can have serious impacts on the family. And people are concerned about genetics revealing unwanted information about future health, having the support they need for complex conversations with loved ones when their genetic information may impact the lives and health of other family members and having clinicians who are appropriately trained to react to this meaningful genetic information in selecting appropriate treatments for their conditions. So it's wonderful that we have this advancements and this individualized approach, which is definitely going to impact uh, you know, better therapies as we've talked about, but there are still some concerns from the patient perspective that continue uh, to be uh, worked out uh, as we're talking today. Yeah, thank you, Mary. That's a really, really good point. This whole, this whole thing about privacy, because when your genetic information is out there, um, if it gets in the hands of people that were unintended, 
uh, you can have uh, an unintended consequence, as it were. So the upside is we may find uh, the ability to research new treatments and find new treatments and 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 potentially cures. Uh, on the other hand, uh, that's that's some very private information. When we when we look at our individual DNA and and our, our family's DNA, and when you share your own, you're essentially sharing your family. So let's go to Anne. Uh, who's got a, a little bit of a family history here with uh, with respect to sarcoidosis and ask her from the patient perspective, Anne, what, what do you think about the this whole privacy thing versus the need to know? You're muted. And you're muted. Can you hear me now? Yes, we can. I'm very interested in the role of genetics in sarcoidosis research and treatment because of its connection to healing, family health history, and the need for representation in sarcoidosis research. I purchased a 23andMe kit. It was a few years ago, and I was delighted to find out about my roots, but I am even more excited that 23 23andMe is now researching sarcoidosis and addressing the research disparities with a host of projects. Uh, I'm very impressed with how 23andMe protects your data. You have full control with whom your uh, information is shared, and you're free to change your mind at any time about your data usage. It's important for me to help others on their journey of life. Maya Angelou said, you can't go through life with a pitcher's mitt, with a catcher's mitt on both hands. You have to be able to give something back. So helping others find resources on their journey with sarcoidosis is my main mission. At first, I was really hesitant to share my story with others because I just didn't want people to know that much information about me. And I suffered alone. Now I'm eager to share, so no one will have to endure the pain of the discovery of this illness by themselves and without resources. Sarcoidosis has a strong genetic component. Those with African ancestry are unrepresented in research. The thing about sarcoidosis is that the symptoms may appear and then disappear. However, or they may come back with a vengeance like they did with me. I feel that I had my first attack with sarcoidosis in my 20s and later in my mid-60s. I complained of shortness of breath, coughing, fatigue, and weight loss. I was physically weak and depressed. And when I reported this to my doctor, um, she encouraged me to stop smoking, exercise, and take a bronchoscopy test. So in 2016, on the last visit to that doctor, my daughter accompanied me. My daughter insisted there was something wrong with me. We left the doctor's office and went to the emergency clinic. It was a good thing because this is when we began getting answers to my physical symptoms. I was taken by ambulance to the hospital and later diagnosed with sarcoidosis. 
My physician at that time had sent me home to wait on another test. Now picture this, I'm a former counselor. I was the one people came to for support and information. It was not like me to be depressed, avoid eating, uh, to be in pain, avoiding my friends, not wanting to go out and just having no energy. I found myself depressed, unable to eat, self-isolated, physically weak, vomiting daily, continuously coughing, stomach aches, thin, short of breath and tired. My former physician never tested me for sarcoidosis, nor did she even mention sarcoidosis. Sarcoidosis mimics a lot of illnesses. It is found by a simple test for granulomas in the lungs or lymph nodes in my case. Muscular sarcoidosis was found by a muscle biopsy of the thigh along with other tests. Over the last seven years, I have journeyed from somebody who was physically weak, afraid, not knowing what was wrong, frail, out of breath, and coughing up a storm, as well as hopeless and depressed, to being physically stronger. I am involved in the community. I mentor students, and with the help of my family, friends, doctors, and therapists, I'm still standing. And, you know, I, I'm just so thankful for the support and the resources that are available. Since, since my diagnosis of muscular sarcoidosis, life is more of a challenge. I'm using a walker and a cane, but now I mostly use a cane because the therapies are working. I continue to do crafts, I cook, I dine out with friends, as well as host gatherings. The genetic information about daddy could have helped me in the diagnosis of my illness. Genetics provide you with knowledge about your ancestors' genes and their impact on your development. 23andMe has found that there are genetic variants associated with sarcoidosis that still have not been identified. Well, Ann, I'll tell you, thank you. Thank you so much for being willing to share your story. Um, it's, it's heartbreaking to hear all that you have gone through and all that you have suffered. Um, and it's even more heartbreaking when I, when I hear you say that you could have been diagnosed so much sooner and been hosting your gatherings so much sooner and doing your crafts and, and the depression is just awful to live with. Uh, I've heard that from so many people who have talked to me on their podcast. So uh, I think you make a, a pretty clear case for uh, the greater good is to do this genetic research and to be on top of this from the very beginning. And Dr. Montgomery, I, kn I know you feel that way because when we were talking prior to today's conversation, you, you said you are, you're already making progress in this area. There are already, there's a lot we don't know, but there are already some markers. You want to share that with us? Yes, absolutely. Let me start, though, by saying, and thank you so much. And one of the greatest, uh, you know, 
aspects of what I do is getting just time to spend with patients. And I'm never rushed for time. So I can just sit and say, tell me your story. And time after time after time, I hear stories like Anne's of misdiagnosis or no diagnosis and um, just, you know, people patting them on the back saying, it's just stress <laughs> or, you know, you're just a mom too busy. Right. And, and so it's, it's so wonderful to have people look at me with tears in their eyes and say, thank you for acknowledging that what is happening with me is real. And it's very real. And um, I think that does go sort of full circle to the genetics, because if we're able to point to chemical, uh, biochemical reactions that are happening in cells and say, this is what's going on and leading to the formation of granulomas or leading to the, um, progression of these granulomas, the maintenance of these granulomas, and why one person might completely resolve on their own, and then someone else suffer with new new organs being involved all the time and being resistant to treatment. If we can understand that, um, that's huge. And one of the things that I'll say too about genetics research is it's not all bad news. So we've actually uh, identified genes that are associated with resolving disease. And if we know that a person in that example uh, has you know, this genetic predisposition, so they're predisposed to having disease that'll get better on a, all on its own, why in the world would we want to put them through aggressive therapy that we know affects your body in so many other ways, right? I mean, how many times have I sat uh, across from patients and saying, you know, I've gained so much weight because I'm on steroids or, you know, I, I had one teacher and maybe, Anne, you can relate to this. She said, I would walk into my classroom and tell my students, I took my mean medicine today <laughs> because, because her uh, steroid treatments would just kind of put her in a bad mood, right? So if we could spare patients from that, how wonderful. So, but on, on the flip side of that, if we're able to, um, identify genes that are associated with other measurables. So our goal, one of our goals and, and a big focus of our research right now is saying what genes are associated, not just with having sarcoidosis, but having certain um, levels of certain chemicals, cytokines uh, is a word that, that you might've heard elevated in your blood. So how nice it would be to go into your doctor, have a simple blood test, just like we've all done to test our cholesterol levels and say, wow, your levels of chemicals X, Y, and Z are really elevated. This might be an indication of sarcoidosis. And we learn that by correlating those values with the genes that we know are involved. So um, I say all that too, to, to get back to your question, John, about the safety, if you will, of genetic studies um, and recognizing that number one, it's not all bad news, but number two, our goal isn't that we would be able to you know, create the genetic sequence of every single person that ever comes into a doctor's office. No, it's really just the opposite. It's to use the genes to define the mechanisms of disease, how the disease works, so that then we can bypass that and go straight to a much more easily measured uh, quantity, if that makes sense. Um, and also, I will echo everything that you heard from 23andMe is that um, those of us who do research, we are governed by institutional review boards, which are comprised of um, not only doctors, but patients by people in the community that make very sure that 
everything we do in our studies is very safe, that we are communicating with our patients constantly, that we are very transparent, and that a patient at any time, not only can they call us with questions, they can withdraw themselves from a study, they can ask that all their data has to be removed. And if we don't do that, the government, the National Institutes of Health will absolutely shut us down. So they are constantly reviewing us. Uh, we have to submit progress reports and, and keep them updated all the time. Because the last thing we want to do is uh, have people not want to contribute to this greater good because of lack of transparency or not knowing if it's safe to do so um, for them or for their family. So but you feel like there's a lot of promise here, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, like I said, it's it's really, we're trying to understand at the most fundamental level what is happening with sarcoidosis um, and how, what your body, how your genes are responding from the time you're born to the time you're uh, exposed to, you know, your very first illness to you get your booster shots, you're, you know, someone who works outside around lots of tree pollen, all of those things, how those cause your genes to respond and then lead to, you know, a, a, a not so good response, right? We all want our immune systems. What I often convey to patients is that think of yourself as having an immune system that's always in hyperdrive, right? So it's going to respond more aggressively to anything, even if it's just a simple mosquito bite, right? You're going to respond differently because your immune system's on hyperdrive. Well, it would be nice to think that we could take a DNA test, like you just mentioned, neurosarc, which is my affliction, um, and that there's some indicators there. It would be nice to have known that, um, and it and it would still be nice to know if there might not be, a, you know, a treatment because everything we take is off label. So that would be that would be fantastic. But we're starting to run out of time a little bit. We've got uh, uh, just a few minutes left. So I want to get into our final round of comments here. So at this point, I want to ask each of our panelists to maybe share their thoughts and some takeaways as we look forward to the future. And, and I feel so optimistic compared to where we were when we first started this conversation here today. And I hope those who are, who are tuning in, as it were, are feeling the same way that I am, because there's there's a lot out there that we know that we can study and learn. And I want to go back to the man who's right at the point of the spear, Dr. Srimapure, uh, who started our conversation today. Maybe you could just touch on the privacy part of this and then give us your big takeaways from today. Definitely. So I think, yes, from everything we've heard, we recognize that sort of your privacy is very important. You're sharing an important aspect of yourself, your DNA that could relate to your not only yourself, but your family as well. So from a 23andMe perspective, we, we have many, many safeguards in place to respect your consent, as well as your privacy and security. We comply with international data security standards to ensure that. And I think the, the, sort of the 23andMe representation in sarcoidosis research study is an attempt to address the disparities that are often seen in genetics research of the underrepresentation of non-European ancestry populations in studies so that we can develop treatments that are equally effective in all populations and available to everyone. And go back to the genetics piece uh, from all we've talked about today, we know that 
genetics has associations with sarcoidosis risk. It is a risk factor for sarcoidosis, but it is not, your genetic doesn't determine completely whether you will get sarcoidosis or not. And we, we understand the role genetics plays in sarcoidosis a bit more now compared to say a few years ago, but we still don't understand it fully. And to understand it fully, we need more research into the genetic, the role of genetics in sarcoidosis. And this can only be powered by the participation of the community. Since sarcoidosis is a rare, rare disease, it needs sort of active efforts to build studies which have enough statistical power to let us make these associations. So I hope that at the end of this all, you will all, all of you will check out the link to the 23andMe representation in sarcoidosis research study and learn more about it. Thanks. All right, thank you, Dr. Shrikipur. Right, so let's let's go right back over to Dr. Montgomery again. There's a lot of optimism on the table here today, and and you're out there talking to patients and doing the research. You know, what do you think? What are your takeaways here? So again, I'll just echo uh, what we've heard from multiple people uh, today is, is there is promise in this area of research. And I'm hoping that everyone that's attending today walks away with a little bit of hope. Because um, again, I acknowledge that sarcoidosis is often a disease that doesn't feel like there's much hope. It feels instead like what am I going to do? Nobody understands what I'm going through. Um, my doctors don't know much about my disease and, and it feels hopeless at times, but there is hope um, and there are advances being made and uh, you know, your participation in that those efforts is huge. Um, if you, you know, I'll, I'll gratuitous plug here. If anybody happens to be near Oklahoma, we have people that come to our research clinic from all over. Uh, we even had somebody, you know, come up from Louisiana and New York, but if you're nearby, we'd love to see you. But no matter what, whether it's just being uh, uh, involved with the FSR community groups, which is an amazing effort that's going through, get plugged in. It will uh, plug you into new knowledge, uh, but it'll also just give you a community of support and hope and uh, give you an opportunity to, to give back and take off that extra uh, catcher's glove, as we so eloquently heard from Maya via Ann earlier. Okay, great. So everybody get on a plane, go to Oklahoma. We'll, we'll have a line. We'll have a line outside your office. Uh, all right, let's go back over to Anne. Anne, do you feel any more hope or optimism than you did before we started? You're still muted, Anne. Am I on now? You're good. So we're through research, I learned that African-American women are twice as likely to have sarcoidosis than African-American men. African-American women have a higher mortality rate than other ethnic groups. African-American women are three times more likely to develop sarcoidosis than white women and white men. That, this is why it's so important for me and for us to be knowledgeable and aware of the resources that are out there to help us in fighting this rare disease. The reasons for my advocacy are to provide hope and information as well as resources. Dr. Montgomery gave us a lot of hope and I'm just waiting on some of it to come my way. Uh, but we all want to help others on their journey. 
No one should carry the burden of suffering with this illness alone. I have sarcoidosis and I work every day to keep it under control. The Foundation for Sarcoidosis Research, FSR, is an excellent resource in helping you understand sarcoidosis, as well as the patients, advocates, and navigators. The Patient Navigator Program, it provides emotional and educational support, as well as awareness to those in need. The FSR Speaker Bureau teaches the participants how to craft their story to increase awareness, to educate providers, to empower peers, and increase research in sarcoidosis. Had I have known of the FSR, my story would have been different. I would have been more knowledgeable about my illness and the resources in the community. I applaud the FSR for their work and their commitment to this disease. I also applaud 23andMe for its valuable work in sarcoidosis research and its pledge to address research disparity as it relates to African-American. I urge you to visit the FSR and 23andMe websites. Check out what resources are available and provide friends who have sarcoidosis with the information, treatment, information, and support equals thriving. Now, Francis Bacon, he said an important thing. He said, knowledge is power. So it's in your hands. That is very well said. And thank you. Thank you so much. Knowledge is power. And so now, before, as I toss it back over to Mary for her closing comments, my thought is that the, the only way that we get everybody at the table that's at the table today 23 and me and and Anne and uh and and Dr. Montgomery um the only way that happens is if there's a, a central organization that's guiding all the conversations that is able to bring all of these thought leaders together to bring the patients together to get the 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 hundreds of you who are out there listening to this and will listen to this via YouTube or or hopefully eventually uh, on the podcast channel. Um, so Mary, congratulations for bringing everybody together, uh, you and your team, uh, Tricia and Angela, working so hard to get this done. Thank you for that. And, and I'm interested in your final thoughts as we start to put a bow on this. Well, I'm going to steal Anne's words in closing. Knowledge is power for sure. And that knowledge comes from everybody, the entire community on this. It really is such an exciting time. And I am so thrilled and optimistic uh, hearing Dr. Montgomery and Dr. Spring Arpure speak about what is being done and the future of this. Genetics and genetic research are ushering in a new era in treatment and therapy. And that is critically important for those living with sarcoidosis and those studying uh, genetics and better therapies. If researchers can gain insights into the genetic factors that predispose a person to developing sarcoidosis, and if researchers can gain insight into the environmental factors that increase a person's uh, chances of developing sarcoidosis symptoms, and if we can identify precise biomarkers that allow for the development and use of 
better targeted therapies, there is no doubt that sarcoidosis treatment and care will improve. And this, as I said, is extremely exciting. We are so pleased to have hosted today's candid and informative discussion about the topic of genetics and sarcoidosis research and treatment. And we welcome further discussion between genetic researchers and the patients whose data they wish to study. And we hope to encourage more communication going forward. The partnership between patients and researchers is important in moving the science forward for sarcoidosis. Patients need to know that their researchers hold their best interest paramount to all else. And that means trusting, you know, will be able to control the use of their genetic data, making sure that that happens. Meeting industry researchers like those from 23andMe and working closely with academic researchers like Dr. Montgomery presents a promise for a better future for all living with sarcoidosis. Thank you, Dr. Sharinga Apure, for your presentation today. Thank you, Dr. Montgomery, for your valuable insights into the role of genetics in sarcoidosis. And thank you, Anne, for sharing your personal journey with all of us today. And thank you, John, for leading us through another fantastic conversation. If you enjoyed today's discussion, I would like to encourage you to consider a donation to FSR. These programs are only possible through the dedication and commitment of our incredible donors. Thank you, listeners, for being here today. Have a wonderful rest of your weekend and a, a warm and uh, heartfelt thanks to all. I feel like a zombie Just feeding and stumbling Okay, I hope you found that as informative as I did, right? I mean, there is a little bit of a connection out there. Maybe there's a lot of connection, and what we know is a little bit about it. How's that? That's a better way to put it. Uh, but it's fascinating, and I intend to continue to, to look at, at this in as much as I can get access to the people who are studying it. And also, I want to thank FSR for asking me to moderate. kind of allows me to bring my skill set as a TV news anchor into this space, and it's always a pleasure to be involved. And thanks to 23andMe for all they are doing to help science drill down and find out all they can about sarcoidosis. Hopefully we can find the origin and a cure or at least some more effective treatments as a result of everything they're doing. All right, a couple of notes. Uh, I want to remind you that fellow SARC fighter Royce Robertson is still fundraising. He's getting ready for his big bike ride from Buffalo to Syracuse, New York. He's calling that Cycle for SARC, and I've made a donation personally to his account. Uh, it's a part of KISS, KISS, Kick In to Stop Sarcoidosis. And all the info to donate is in the show notes, or you go to the FSR website and then click on Join Team KISS. It's very easy to find. Scroll down, and you'll see Royce's Cycle for Sark page. He's got his picture on there and everything. And originally, I'd wanted to go with him, but the calendar is not our friend this year. So I'm doing all I can to get him some support. And basically, what that means is asking you to give him some financial support. So please, please 
do consider doing that. Go go make a donation right now. Um, the official Sark Fighter song called Zombie by Mark Steyer and his band, The White Hot Lizards. You can hear Mike Mark's story, the story behind the lyrics in episode 12. And I just have to stick this in there. Um, when I came up to the podium to accept my award, they played a clip from Zombie as I was walking up, and I just I just thought that was really cool. We release the podcast every other Monday. As I'm speaking today, my trusty dog, Dougal, has been curled up in the chair in my office, but right now, I can tell you that my neighbor is walking his dog in the road in front of my house, and that has got a hundred percent of Dougal's attention. He's looking out the window and barking, and uh, luckily I've gotten him to stop for a few minutes so I can speak. But Dougal is not curled up in the chair in my office, uh, but he still makes my life so much better. The backstory to the founding of the foundation for sarcoidosis research goes all the way back to episode eleven with Andrea and Redding Wilson, who started FSR at their kitchen table. And I would like to ask you to continue to follow me on social media, Facebook, Instagram. I'm on Peloton, all these places. Just search for Sark Fighter. And my cycling blog is called Carlin the Cyclist. And I do have a section in there called Cycling with Sarcoidosis. And if you are new here and you're just trying to figure out what sarcoidosis is, go back and listen to episode two with Dr. Simon Hart from the UK. And my story is episode one. And please send me an email if you'd like to make a comment on the show or if you'd like to be on the show. It's carlinagency at gmail.com. And most of all, it just helps me reach more people and grow the podcast If you share it on your social media or just tell one other person that you like the FSR Sark Fighter podcast and and recommend it to them, I would appreciate that. So subscribe and give the show a nice review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your downloads. Until next time, keep fighting. Trying to keep up the pace, dead men walking, counting.